Hi everyone, welcome to Find Your Flow, remote learning in the 21st century. I'm Clarice and I'm the Pedagogical Director at Kingfisher Learning Online, or KFlow for short. And today I'm starting part one of our student-centered learning series. And today I'm speaking about the learning brain. In this series, I'm going to be diving into some of the most frequently asked questions we get from parents about our approach to student-centered learning. And today I'm focusing on how do children learn best? How do we make sure that learning makes it all the way to long-term memory and students aren't just churning and burning information for the purposes of getting marks? This is something that we are very passionate about <laughs> and we are very passionate about many things at KFlow. But making sure that students are really engaged and are committing their learning to long-term memory, are having deep learning experiences and are really having an active, constructive learning experience is very important to us. So I'm going to speak a little bit about the learning brain. It's going to be a bit of a theoretical lesson for you if you are not you know, familiar with how the learning brain works. I hope you're going to enjoy it. I find it very insightful and every time I revisit this topic, I always have something new to think about and a new takeaway from it. So without further ado, let's have a look at the learning brain. So like I mentioned, the whole purpose of learning is for learning to make it all the way into long-term memory. That means that the student has really understood and committed this new learning to their specific memory areas. Now the brain has got many different areas dedicated to, like for example, language learning, um, muscular memory, um, processing and so on and so forth and so it's the brain's job to go and place the neuro connections in all the, the specific areas but for that to take place there has to be a process so in other words if we ask children to simply sit down and listen to what we're saying there's a very very small chance that what we are saying is going to make it all the way into long-term memory, that they're going to be able to remember and deeply understand and apply what we have said to them. Now, you can, you know, <laughs> take this from your own experience. Like if you just sit and listen to a lecture all day long, but you never apply what they say to you, how long are you going to keep in your memory what has been said? One of the main criticisms against education is this idea of passive education and the lack of application and real world application that comes with learning in a traditional setting. So for us, there are four main ingredients that go into learning that helps students take learning from a new concept that they're receiving all the way to long term memory. And these four elements are active learning, intrinsic motivation, cognitive conflict, and self-reflection. I'm going to dive into each of them a little bit more in detail just to give you an idea. But what I would love for you to do right now is just to think about a time that you've sat in a lecture or in a classroom and thought, okay... <laughs> Cool. And then you leave and you have no idea what was just said. You have no idea 
what happened there and certainly by the time that either the test comes or um, you know five years down the line if they ask you questions about it you have no idea what happened I have so many examples of this half of my university life was more than half probably about 80% of my university life um, is exactly this kind of example of things that I just don't remember because I never got to apply it I never got to practice it I never got to put it into any kind of context for myself the only thing I really remember is language because in language we're actually forced to practice, we're forced to have conversations and um, I seem to remember a lot more of the foreign languages that I learned than of, for example, the history and the politics that I studied. So just understand that that is the very opposite of active learning, okay? Active learning is where students have an opportunity to engage with the learning. Now, that means that multi-sensory and motor um, operations are involved. That means they are moving, they are seeing, they are smelling, they are touching. They have to be engaged with their bodies. That is active learning. Active learning is not just sitting and listening. That is not active learning. It's not enough. For them to be able to to commit to long-term memory if they are only listening. So one example of this is for our younger learners. In order for them to learn number concepts, we want them to have concrete experience with number relationships. We want them to hold things and do just regular operations with them and see how that works in real life when I have things in my hand you know and take it into like day-to-day life and use it in that situation and not just see it on a screen and hear it in a lecture that's not enough so active learning involves movement as well as multi-sensory experiences Then we move to intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is something that is kind of like a new ingredient to this little formula. However, it's incredibly, incredibly important. And I'm actually going to dedicate a whole other episode to a piece of intrinsic motivation. Now, intrinsic motivation is made up of three different uh, contributing elements, if you want. The first is that the learning, the new information, has to have connectors. The children need to be able to connect this information to their real world and lived experiences. If they can connect it to their real world and their lived uh, experiences, they will automatically feel more motivated to learn about it because it's something that interests them, it's something that affects them. The second piece of the connectors is a social element. We are social beings. As humans, we are social beings. Just like dogs and dolphins, we love learning in a group and we love having other people around us. And even if it doesn't mean that you are learning with your teacher and another student, at least you want a teacher to learn from. You want somebody that you can watch and engage with and do this whole tennis thing of serve and return, right? Asking questions, getting answers, checking and fact checking and so on. 
you want to have engagement you need to have social engagement for you to be able to learn so two pieces to the connected is the social connection and as as well as real world connection then the second ingredient is voice and choice students need autonomy they need to be given an opportunity to try it out for themselves one of the biggest disservices we do our children is to do things for them so for example um, and bless your souls as parents you just want what's best for your child and you want to you know help them and make sure that they're succeeding in life and whatever but if you know as the teacher you ask a child um, for a specific answer or for some piece of homework or research or something parents tend to intervene and they tend to like help them along with the answers and so on and that's really not the point <laughs> they need to have an opportunity to try things for themselves otherwise they'll never know that they know and really like having that opportunity to say I did it is so important we talk about having a eureka moment right and eureka is a greek word meaning i did it and having that i did it moment is just wonderful the light goes on and you feel such a sense of satisfaction because obviously your brain chemicals are giving you a really good feeling hormone right now telling you that well done you've done it you got it right you solved the problem you answered the question right so it's a really really good feeling to know that you did it that you can do it so that's the second ingredient in intrinsic motivation is having an opportunity to try it for yourself the third thing and this is where we get our inspiration for kflow and find your flow and everything that we've built this um, brand around is tending towards mastery children want to tend towards mastery and when they are tending towards mastery they are intrinsically motivated okay so if you give somebody um, an activity to do so let's say for example your child is learning timetables they are learning the four times tables right now they've mastered it they know the four times tables but you continue to ask them the four times tables they're going to get bored because what they want is the challenge they want to tend towards mastery this is how the brain works <laughs> it, it likes a challenge it likes the next step it likes the next problem to solve right so in tending towards mastery there are two factors that work together to help you wait for it find your flow <laughs> and the two factors are challenge and ability so if the challenge level and the ability level match up then children get into what is referred to as a state of flow and they are enjoying themselves they are just challenged enough to keep going they are using the skills that they've already built to help themselves move forward and they are having fun and it is very obvious when a child is in flow and when they are not in flow so for example if the challenge is too low and the ability is too high they get bored as with the times tables example if the challenge is too high for example you give the child who's just learned the four times tables calculus 
<laughs> and the ability is too low, they get overwhelmed and demotivated. So it's really important for us as educators to find that sweet spot between challenge and ability and help the children find their flow. Because if they have flow, if they have connectors, and if they have the opportunity to try things for themselves, they will be intrinsically motivated to continue learning. Right, the third part, the third element of getting information to long-term memory is cognitive conflict. Now, we don't necessarily enjoy cognitive conflict. <laughs> and we tend to want to alleviate the dissonance that is caused by cognitive conflict. Now, what is cognitive conflict? If you can imagine two boxing gloves punching each other, right? One red, one blue. The red boxing glove is your existing understanding. So it's what you already know. And then the blue boxing glove is new information. So you already know a certain amount of things about the world around you. And then your teacher comes and drops new information. And what needs to happen inside of your brain is that you need to correlate and integrate this new information with the existing knowledge that you have. Now, here's a, a very common misconception, even amongst teachers and schools and, you know, systems and <laughs> institutions, is that we tend to think that every time somebody learns something new, they're going to start from the beginning, right? Like you, you're starting with a blank slate and you're adding new information onto it. That's not true. It's, not, it's impossible. Our brain doesn't work like that. Our neurons already have all sorts of connectors all over the show. And what we do when we get new information is go and find a place where it fits in. So think of your, your folders on your laptop, right? So you have a whole bunch of folders. When you get a new document, you go and look and see where does this fit in. And you go and stick it in there. And you might create a new folder underneath one of your folders and that's fine. When that happens, when you learn something that's really brand new, so let's say for example you learn a whole new language, you're going to create a new folder for that language, but you're still going to rely on what you already know about language structure to help you learn this new language, okay? So there's always a connector there's always some sort of root connector that new information has to be connected to inside of the neural network for it to exist inside of our brains as long-term memory all right as real learned information and this is why we talk about constructing knowledge because we are actually constructing a neural network we are constructing a new neural pathway or simply some new neuro, neuro connections, okay? So cognitive conflict needs to happen. There needs to be this, this, um, this conflicting situation inside of the brain where it's finding the right place to put this information and it's finding all the different areas where this information needs to be connected to. Now, the better your active learning experience, the easier it will be for your brain to find the right place because 
in your active learning, you will light up the parts of the brain that needs to be used, right? So let's say, for example, let's stick with the mathematics example. If we give children the opportunity to play with, you know, um, concrete things to help them understand number relations, the areas in the brain will light up that are already connected to the existing network and then the brain finds it easier to go and put this new information in the right place and then you learn faster and you're more efficient and your learning is much more um it's much deeper because you're going to connect it to more than one network and this becomes very important in long-term memory because if we only connect the learning to let's say one simple network like vocab words it's very possible that we're going to prune that information because we're not going to use it very often but if we connect it also to for example the motors um, the motor sensory area in the brain then we're going to make use of that area very very often and the chances of us forgetting it is very slim because we are always engaged in our motor sensory but we're not necessarily always engaged in vocab memory okay so then the last piece is self-reflection and this is where we give children an opportunity to think about the process to look at where did i start again think about your cognitive conflict what was my existing knowledge and what have i learned now how have i integrated this new information and when they are able to think through this new information what happens is is that their brain literally takes them on like it's like a rewind you know you go all the way back to where it started from and it takes you on like a through your brain and you're like oh and I connected here and here and here and here and here and all those areas in the brain light up and you just feel amazing because you've suddenly understood in how many different ways you have understood and learned and integrated this concept so it's such a wonderful experience it's so it's such a pleasure to see when children go through this process because they just light up you know they have this this glowing look on their face and they're so excited and it's like oh wow yes and that makes sense now and now i understand how that happens and i do you know what else i learned and you cannot get them to keep quiet when they get this excited about their learning and their understanding and all the ways in which they've connected this. And then they talk about how it relates to their lives and how they learned it with this person and from that person. And then they talk about how they tried this thing and finally succeeded at this thing. And they talk about what is going to be the next you know, level that they're going to go to and so on. And so all the pieces come together again. The intrinsic motivation, the cognitive conflict, the active learning, all of it comes together to serve one another. So this process, these four ingredients, right, that form part of this process don't necessarily happen like one at a time. They all kind of happen at the same time and they have to happen at the same time because that's just how it works, you know. But again, like I just need to emphasize this is why we speak about this all the time and why we will never stop speaking about this, that the whole child needs to be engaged and that it has to be student-centered, active learning, right? It has to be student-centered because if it's not student-centered, we will take an eternity to find the connection between what is their existing knowledge and where can we fit this new information in? 
But if we start from the child, if we use the student-centered model, we start with the child and their existing knowledge, and then it's so easy to connect the new information, right? So I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions about this, if you want to talk more about it, please, you know, reach out. We love, love talking about all things student-centered learning and the learning brain. As always, all of our links are in the show notes and we would love to connect with you. Enrollment is open. Come and have fun with us. We have started term two and we are having a blast with the kids. It's just so much fun. And we're going to be bringing you guys some behind the scenes looks at like how our classrooms run and what's happening inside of the classroom. What are we learning about and so on. But for now, just send us an email and come and say hi, get your kids enrolled because really this is just an amazing learning experience for them. All right, I will be back with the next part of student-centered learning. There will be four and I will be back with part two next week.